as we approach our text this morning, John is looking to uh, these people, these churches that are spread throughout Asia Minor, and he's considering something with them. Let's not forget, though, where we've left off. Let's look just at verse 24 of chapter 3, and then we're going to begin our text in verse 1 of chapter 4. But look at chapter 3, verse 24 with me. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. This is important. By the spirit whom he has given us. This is how we know. Well, how do we know? How do we know what? This is how we know that we know him. By the spirit that he has given us that now resides in all people of faith. You have that spirit if you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning. In fact, you cannot have faith in Jesus Christ without the Spirit of God. So the two things are necessarily interwoven together. You can't have one and not the other. And so this morning, how do we know that we know? Well, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Romans 8, 16, just listen to what it says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know that to be true this morning? Do you know what this means? Have you felt this? You actually know. You say, you communicate this to someone who has not experienced this and they say, I don't know what that means. But to us who have understood and who have the spirit of God dwelling in us, for the spirit to communicate with our spirit and to say to us, you are a child of God, I know exactly what that means. I know what it means. And so John is saying to them, this is how you know. By the spirit that he has given you, this is how you know. But he continues on, he says, but in the midst of that, in the presence of the spirit bearing witness to your spirit that you are a child of God, understand that there are other spirits at work in this world. And so what does he say? Do not believe every spirit. And so here's our context. So let's read chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so two times in a row he has said, and this is how you know. So just previously, chapter 3, verse 24, and this is how you know, by the spirit that he has given you. And then he ends verse 6 by saying, and this is how you know the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error by testing the spirits. I was talking to the elders right before uh, we uh, came into service today, and I said, a lot, of this, uh, a lot of this language is kind of cloaked, I think, in a sense, in, in somewhat of a cryptic fashion, because it's almost like well, there's a lot of words here that have meaning behind them. They have packed meaning behind them. There are concepts here. Test the spirits. Did you test the spirits this week? What do you mean by that? That sounds weird. That sounds cultish. Test the spirits. But that's what scripture says to do. So what does it mean? 
because it's not something weird. No, it's something very normal that we should be doing. Test the spirits. So what does that mean? How do we do that? And then the spirit of the Antichrist, what is that? The spirit of the Antichrist, that sounds doomsday-ish. But he's saying the spirit of the Antichrist was already present 2,000 years ago. And that we should be testing the spirits, all believers should be. So what does this mean? What is John calling his audience to do? When he's looking at these churches and he's helping them understand why some people have left and why some people have stayed, he says, make sure you're doing this. Make sure you're testing the spirits to see if it's from God. Now, what does he mean? He says, however, you are not to believe every spirit, but you are to test the spirits. Two imperatives there. Do not believe every spirit. Don't do it. Don't believe every spirit. And then another imperative. Test the spirits. Two things that we're called to do here. Don't believe every spirit. Second, test the spirits. So two things that we're called to do. What, is, what do we do? If I, if I ended right there and I said, so make sure we're doing that this week, everybody. Okay? So go home and don't believe every spirit and test the spirits. See you next week. What would you go home and do? You know, some of you say, well, I, I know exactly what that means, actually. That's great. That's what we're we're going to be walking through that text together today. But what I hope is that we leave with an understanding of what John is calling us to do. Because when John's calling us to do it, the Spirit of God is calling us to do it. God is calling us to test the spirits. If you believe that the Scriptures are the very Word of God, then God is calling us to test the spirits. But what does it mean? What are the spirits and how do we test them? Those are the two basic questions we have, isn't it? What are these spirits and how do we test them? Spirit, the word spirit, it's probably a word you know. It's one of those common Greek words, pneuma, or some people say pneuma, but you pronounce the, the P sound anyway, but it's pneuma. But it can mean several different things. It can mean a demonic, evil, unclean spirit. That's one thing it can mean. It can mean prophetic spirits. That is a spirit that resides in someone that they speak, and there's a prophetic spirit that gives them that. It can mean wind. Don't believe every wind. Do you think that's what it means? It can mean angels. Same word. It can mean the spirit of God, as in Revelation 1 and Revelation 4, when saying the seven spirits of God. It can mean deceased individuals, the spirits of those who have gone before us. Right? Deceased individuals. Spirits. Spirits. What does it mean in this context? What are these spirits that we're to be testing? I don't think, and I, we, we don't really get the impression that this is some kind of disembodied, ambiguous blob floating that is just coming toward us, that we're, it's, a, it's a spirit. It's spiritual. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And it's going to come to you, but don't believe it. No, that's not what's happening. But instead, there is a teaching coming from the spirits, right? Because he says, don't believe every spirit. So what we can understand already is that there is a teaching coming that is spiritual in nature that you should not just believe any old teaching, but instead you ought to be testing that spirit. Spiritual teaching originates in one of two places. Let's look at this together. Number one, it can come from the spirit of God, which John calls the spirit of truth, or spiritual teaching can come from the spirit of the Antichrist, which he's calling here the spirit of error. Earlier he said the spirit of the Antichrist is there and you heard that Antichrist is coming and is now already here. What is this? Antichrist, it just means against Christ. It's 
was the Antichrist present before Christ, would it have made sense? So just follow me here. Would there have been an Antichrist or a spirit of an Antichrist before Christ was here? Well, in one sense, no, because what would he have been against? There was no Christ to be against. There was no message of the gospel to contradict. You following that? So once the gospel has been uh, proclaimed and now there, are, there is the church, there is set up against it spiritual forces that are against that gospel and against Christ, which is anti-Christ, against Christ. Okay, so here's what's happening. These spirits, they influence and inspire individuals and they speak and teach through them. There are spirits, which is the spirit of God, or the spirit of the Antichrist, spirit of truth, or spirit of error. And these spirits influence and inspire individuals speaking and teaching through them. Does the spirit of God inspire and influence? I certainly hope you say yes. That's actually how the word of God came to us, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? But does the spirit of God influence you? If you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit certainly influences you, influences your thoughts, influences how you feel, influences things in your life. It influences you. And so these spirits, there is one of two places that spiritual teaching comes from and that people are speaking from one of these two places. It is either from the Spirit of truth or it is from the Spirit of error. And so what John is saying is test the spirits that is the origin of this teaching and the teacher himself to see whether it came from the spirit of God or whether it came from the spirit of the Antichrist, which is the spirit of error. It's hard to talk about this because the word Antichrist has such a defined meaning in our time and place that it's hard to kind of detach ourselves from an end time apocalyptic figure to a spirit that is now present and has been for 2,000 years. But we're not going to change the word. We're not going to call it something else. We're going to call it what Scripture calls it, which is against Christ, anti-Christ. And that is the spirit. It is against the gospel, teachings that are against the gospel, contrary to. We're asking the question, what spirit has inspired this teaching? Or we might say, is this teaching inspired by the spirit of God? Or is this teaching inspired by the spirit of the Antichrist? Is this, is this teaching inspired by the spirit of truth? Or is this teaching inspired by the spirit of error? But he continues, look at the next phrase here. For, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why you need to be testing the spirits. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we need to be testing the spirits, testing the message and the messenger. Where does this teaching come from? Has this teaching proceeded from God himself or has this teaching proceeded from those who are against God? We need to test it and figure it out rather than just believing any spirit, believing any teaching. Don't just believe any spirit, but test the spirits to see whether it's from God. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we need to be careful of what we're looking at, what we're accepting. False prophets, even at this time, from the beginning of the church. How old was the church at this time? Not very old. But there you already have false prophets in the church. The church 
is targeted at its heart. And strikes and wounds afflict it. But here's the scary thing. Is it's almost like the fear, danger of cancer. In that it's afflicting you, it's affecting you, but you may not even be aware of it. But it's tearing you apart from the inside. And then all of a sudden, surfaces itself. False prophets have gone out, and where are they present? What was John saying? This is why they've gone out from you, because they weren't of us, but they would have stayed with us if they were of us, but they went out because they weren't of us. Then he begins to talk about these false teachers and false prophets. And where have they targeted? The church. They have targeted us. Do you believe that there are entire bodies of churches that have gathered together on false premises, on false teachings, because they have not tested the spirit to see whether this is from God or not, and they've simply believed? Do you think that that's the case? So do you see why then this warning is so important to us? Because we are being attacked. And what is the primary attack? What we believe. As an American culture, however, what we believe is not all that important because our minds should be shut off all the time. We should just be entertained rather than taught. And not only that, we should just go along with whatever we feel is right rather than being corrected by what is actually true. So the culture that we live in has a hard time with this. And that sensation comes into the church and it is destructive. So he says, false prophets have gone out into the world and they can infect you, they can harm you. And so you need to test the spirits. You need to test this teaching. But how were they to understand this idea that people were speaking in the name of God and yet speaking contrary information? Because here's how it happens. These churches that we talked about that so many of you agreed have understood false teachings. How did those false teachings come into the church? Did they come in and say, listen, this is of the spirit of the Antichrist, so we're all clear. Uh, this is a teaching of Satan himself. This is against God. But here's what I propose, that we all believe this. Just so you know, it's, it's what the scriptures call false teaching, but we're going to think that it's true. I just want you all to know before we believe it that this is not of God. Now, are you on board with me? Or does the person say, this is what God has said? And they can even open the Bible and try to convince you of their point from the scriptures itself. Say, see, I told you this is what God said. Now, believe it to be true. Okay, if you say God said it, then I ought to simply accept it. Is that what John says to do? No, even if someone is saying it in the name of God, you are to test it. Test it to see whether it is of God. That's what John says to do. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I have it on the screen for you. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by doing what? 
devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, and their conscience is seared so they don't care to tell a lie and make you believe it. Their conscience doesn't tell them not to do that. So the spirit, that is the spirit of truth, the spirit of God has said, this is going to happen. This is happening. That there are many who are led astray. Why? Because they've believed deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. This is what John is warning the church against. Deceitful teachings. And it's only deceitful because the attempt is to deceive. But actually the goal is persuasion. The goal is persuasion, and what does that mean? To cause people to believe what is false. That's the goal. Cause people to believe what is false. You know, that's why it's called a false prophet. What is a prophet? What is prophecy? For many false prophets have gone out. Now, we we have to make a little bit of a, a clarification here on prophecy. Because again, this is another one of those words that has so much baggage attached to it. But let's just understand something here. There is a distinction between, in prophecy, between what has been said prediction or proclamation, or you might say in foretelling and forthtelling. So when you think prophecy, probably, probably, you might think of a prediction of a future event. That's prophecy, right? There's a prophecy. It's a prediction of a future event. Um, That's actually... uh, Percentage-wise, a very low percentage of true prophecy in the Bible. It's not simply just predictive things of the future, but rather it's proclamation or forth-telling. That is, a true prophet of God is simply a messenger of God carrying God's message to the people. Sometimes it includes predictive events of the future, but not always in Scripture, not, not all the time and not most commonly. Think about Jonah, for example. He was a prophet of God, and what did he go tell the people? Now he knew that an event was happening, but what did he call the people to do? What was his main message? To repent. He called them to repent. Because if you don't, it's going to be overthrown. The this, this city is going to be overthrown. Now he was saying that that event would happen. Now he was, he was all upset about that because it didn't happen. And did he actually prove to be a false prophet because it didn't happen? Well, the people actually repented, so no. But you get the idea is that there is a forthtelling of God's message, and the message then was repent. So what is a prophet? What is prophecy? Well, a false prophet then is someone who gives a message and says this is God's message when in reality is not God's message. That is a false prophet. It's much more simple than oh, how, how complicated we've made the terms, right? Um, a false prophet is simply something, someone claiming something in God's name that God has said, but God has not actually said that. That's false. You're a false prophet if that's the case. Another thing we have to understand is that there is a uniqueness surrounding the time of the apostolic age. There is a lot to what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to summarize it because we have a chur- as a church have talked much about this in the past. But there is a uniqueness surrounding that apostolic age. What is the apostolic age? The age of time in which the apostles were alive. It's as simple as that. But there was something happening during the apostolic age and the early church age 
that is different now. Why is that? Because we have something they didn't have. What is that? A completed New Testament. They didn't have that. There were churches being founded on the word of God, yes. But what of the gospel? Where is that? What do we do as a church? What even is the church? Who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? And so, how did God communicate to those people at that time? By means of prophets. Right? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. Again in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, it says, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, saints, and the members of the household of God. Here is how the church is built, and here how you, here's how your faith is built, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There is something that you may or may not be familiar with called the New Apostolic Reformation. You familiar with this? Any of you in the room? I know some of you are. The New Apostolic Reformation claims that in the year 2001, I don't know why 2001, but in the year 2001, the second apostolic age began. And so now there are apostles and there are prophets and there is new revelation from God. Some of these people include Bill Johnson, Rick Joyner, Peter Wagner, Todd White, Kenneth Copeland. You may have heard some of those names. But the foundations of the faith were laid by the apostles and prophets having the word of God in what we call our closed canon of Scripture in 27 New Testament books, the very word of God spoken by the Spirit of God by means of the apostles. So, let me just say this in summary, because I know we've only covered one verse so far. I'm going to make a summary, and then we're going to see what he says about this testing, which follows much more naturally. Summary of 1 John 4.1 is this, is that we have a word spoken to us by God. And there are those who speak another word that is contrary to it. So we must be careful then to test teachers and their teachings to see if they are from God. This is our call. This is what the scriptures are calling us to. So let's look at verse, verses 2 and 3 together. By this you know the Spirit of God. He's telling us how to test. Here's how you test. Here's how you do the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now, excuse me, and now is already present in the world. Okay, so testing of the spirits. The word we would use for this is discernment. Again, another word full of baggage. So I, I have a difficult task this morning because there's a lot of words here that if I didn't give a a understanding to that we would all leave with different concepts of what I was saying but I want to be clear and make sure that we all have the same idea of what is being said when we leave together today because the clearer we can understand the word of God the clearer we can understand what God has said the clearer we can understand what God has said the more we are able to be changed by it and to mature in Christ which is the goal 
So what is he saying here? A testing of the spirits, also known as discernment. You have heard this before. I know that you have. Um, Because it's a common word in Christian circles, you must have discernment. We say that our dog has discernment. Because when a person comes around, he either likes them or doesn't like them, and we wonder why. There is no common element. It must be spiritual discernment, right? But what is true spiritual discernment? What is being said here? There, there are two different things that you need to understand about it as we have this conversation about it. First thing is this, is that spiritual discernment is, yes, a specialized spiritual gift for some Christians. There's no doubt about that, but what is it? What is discernment? Actually, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, I have that on the screen for you as well. You can see it with me. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Do you see it? The ability to distinguish between spirits and to another, various kinds of tongues and the other interpretation of tongues. So right in the middle of prophecy and tongues is someone who can discern spirits. Test the spirits to see whether this is of God or not. God gifts people in the church so as to be able to more acutely understand and discern the spirits. Rather than a mysterious sense, however, I believe we're able to contradict this teaching with what God has said, with the truth of the word of God. In other words, think about this. If John was counting on the fact that there were people in the church gifted with spiritual discernment, why wouldn't he just say this? Make sure that you call up your discerner who's been gifted with discernment and let them discern for you because they have the spiritual gift of discernment. Let them discern for you what that is and then go about your business. Call for your discerner. And let him discern, and then you can either believe it or not believe it. But no, he gives a general call to the church. All of you, all of you, discern. Make a distinction in the spirits. Judge the spirits is literally what it says. Make a judgment between the spirits, whether it is of God or not. There are some who do, by God, we cannot reject this, have an acute ability to do this. But it is not some just sensation, right? Because I think a lot of times we say, oh, you must have discernment. You walk up to a person and you're like, ooh, I got, you know, I got the tinglys when I was around them. You know, and you're like, ooh, you must have discernment. And you say, I think I do. <laughs> yes. Thank you for noticing that. You can't be right or wrong with that, right? You're like, I don't know. I told you I had a weird feeling about them. You just had a weird feeling about them. That's what you had, because that's not what discernment is. It's a, it's a testing between spirits as, as teachings are coming into the church and whether it is of the truth or whether it is of error. And so it's being tested against something. And so that person is going to be testing that against this. They say, boom, red flag. Why? Because this. That can't be of God because of this. It's not just going to be a, hmm, I don't know. I feel a little funny about that. Oh, well, you're, you have discernment, so we better trust that. You see the difference? I think the difference becomes a little bit more clear when we talk about this second aspect of discernment, 
is because it's a common spiritual attribute for all Christians. Think of it in the same terms of evangelism. Are there some who are gifted by the Spirit of God to be evangelists? Yes. Are you called to be an evangelist, whether you have been gifted or not? Same, same thing, you get it? It's the same thing. Whether you have been gifted with discernment or not, you are to discern. There are just some who are more acutely geared toward and gifted with that ability. But we are all to do it. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, I have it on the screen. Actually, I have just the end of it on the screen. I'll read the whole thing. About this, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing, and that's never good. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need yet again someone to teach you, and that's bad news. Here's why. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled. There's a skill that you can grow in since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Powers of discernment. That sounds marvelous. You have been given powers of discernment by the Spirit of God. Now, what are you to do? Train them. How do I train them? By being skilled in the word of righteousness. By knowing what God has said. That's how. Knowing what God has said. And so, we can say this, that Christians practice discernment. When they make a proper distinction between what is of God and what is not of God. That's as simple as, as, as that concept is. You practice discernment when you make a distinction, a proper distinction between this is of God, this is not of God. Or you might say, this is of the truth, this is of error. This is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is evil. Discernment. And so he gives us two general principles of testing the spirits. And the first is this. The presentation of the Son of God. Look at the second half of verse 2 with me. He says, Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Here's the first general principle when, we're, when we are practicing discernment. When we are testing the spirits. How is Jesus Christ presented? That's the question. How is Jesus Christ presented? Because that's important. It's interesting if you think about it because would a demon believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Without a doubt. But this says every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ in the flesh is from God. So you're saying that the demons are from God if they say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and was on earth? So it must mean something different. You with me? It must mean something a little bit different. In other words, what he's saying is, unless this Jesus properly defined is confessed, would they say he is the son of God? Yes. Would they say he is the savior of the world and that he takes the wrath of God upon you and you need to have faith in him, bow down before him as the king? No, they're not saying that. But we should. How is Jesus Christ presented 
If Jesus Christ is not presented according to the truth, to the word of God, this teaching is not of God. This is how we test the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How is Jesus being presented? There must be a proper, biblical, historical understanding of the God-man, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul even says, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, you know this passage, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was admitting and teaching that Jesus Christ is the central message of the gospel, but then what we have to take from that is how Paul defined Jesus Christ. Not just any Jesus Christ, not any way you want to define him, not anybody he is, but he is what the word of God says he is. And so Jesus Christ must be presented properly and biblically. This is why any church worth its weight must have a theological stance and position on the person Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? I'm not asking who is he to you. I don't really care. And the reason being is because if he is not who he says he is in the very word of God, that's a false presentation. Who is Jesus? That's what I want to know. And do you believe it to be true? Yes or no? We have to present Jesus Christ properly and if the Jesus of the scriptures is not presented, the teaching is not from God. That's our first general test about testing the spirits. That's a pretty easy one, right? Now, let me also just add this. This is extra. In the songs that you sing, Christian radio, whatnot, is the Jesus presented there, the Jesus of the scriptures. That's food for thought. Second principle. The presence of the Spirit of God. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. But we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so here is John's famous black and white, what's called dualism. That's, and you position two things at opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Black, white, good, evil, dark, light, truth, error. You get the idea? He says one thing is over here, one thing is over here, and listen, you belong to one or the other. It either is or it isn't. This is how John phrases things. But he's done it again here. You are from, over God, from God, they are not. You're either in or you're out. You're a child of God, you're a child of Satan. And here's how it works. You're from God, and so you're going to listen to us, he says. Why? The apostles. He, you're going to listen to us because we are speaking the truth about God and Jesus Christ. But if you're not from God, you're not going to listen to us. Why are you not going to listen to us? Because you're from the world then. And the world listens to people from the world, not from the people of God. Because those of the world do not have the spirit of God, they have the spirit that is from the world, they're going to listen to the spirit from the world, and that's what they're going to speak from. And so test the spirits. Is this a spirit of the world 
which is the spirit of error, which is against Christ? Or is this from God? Is this a teaching from God? And does it accord with scripture, with the truth? Whoever knows God listens to us. Those speaking on God's behalf as God's true messengers, you will listen. Here is a general truth that I want you to be encouraged with this morning. True believers with the Spirit of God do listen to the Word of God. I want you to be encouraged by that because there are people in your life, I know, who you give the Word of God to. They ain't listening. You give the word of God to, you live the word of God next to them. They don't, they don't, they care nothing about it. True believers, however hard-headed sometimes, do listen to the word of God because whoever has the spirit of God listens to us, he says. If you're not listening, then that's the spirit of the world who is against Christ. I'm not listening to that. That's not true. I don't like that. But if you have the Spirit of God, you're going to say yes. That is true, and I want to listen to that. You see how different those worlds are. We're going to go to one last passage this morning as we wrap up. Uh, so turn there with me if you would. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you've not figured this out yet, I really, of all the biblical authors, they're all good, okay? But there are some that you know communicate better to you, you like better, you like their style that makes sense to you. I love Paul, and he has such a way of teaching and communicating uh, in a way that it, it's powerful. And didn't God raise him up for that purpose? God raised him up for that purpose. But Paul speaks to this particular issue, but in, in Paul's own way. And I kind of just want to look at that to bring things together this morning. So look at it with me. Second, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16 is what we're going to look at. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before, before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, stop right there for a second. You understand what he's saying. There is a wisdom of God, and Paul is an agent of giving that wisdom of God as he's doing in scripture, right? And he's saying that the rulers of this world, however wise they were, they didn't get it, because if they did get it, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of God himself. So clearly they didn't understand. But among the mature, we are giving this, this understanding. As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now listen to this. We have not received the Spirit of the world, 
but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So do you, do you see what he's saying? There is a spirit of the world and the people of the world have the spirit of the world and so they get the things of the world. But you don't have the spirit of the world. What you have is the spirit who is from God and the spirit who is from God knows all things and searches even the depths of God himself and that very spirit that has searched the depths of God himself resides in you and is teaching you. Unbelievable. He has been, this understanding has been freely given to us by God. And he says, we we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What kind of spiritual? Well, a certain kind of spiritual, right? Spiritual in terms of has the Spirit of God. If you don't have the spirit of God, spiritual truths don't communicate to you. You don't get it. So what he's saying, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. Why? Because they're folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they, that is, those teachings are spiritually discerned. In other words, if you don't have the spirit of God, they make no sense to you because you need the Spirit of God to understand the things of the Spirit of God. The spiritual person judges all things. Did you hear that? Judges? Makes a judgment between all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so therefore, we are able to make judgments. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God who is instructing us about the deep things of God because the Spirit that searched the deep things of God resides in you. And so we are able to make a proper judgment between the things of the world and the things of God. But John is telling us, so practice this. Do this. Are you testing the spirits or are you simply believing? Are you becoming more skilled in the word of righteousness so as to be trained in your powers of discernment better trained so that you might do this better and better and better? It's not just for one person to do, it's for all of us to do because you have the Spirit of God to do it. He has equipped you, He has enabled you to do this. And it is a call to us all. Test the spirits. Don't simply believe, but test. We must be those who are testing the spirits to see whether they are from God and whoever does not listen carefully to the words of Scripture so as to make proper spiritual distinctions as being led by the spirit of error and not the spirit of truth. And who are we? We are those who are being led by the spirit of truth. And so what does this look like? We test the spirits. So I want to encourage you with these words this morning. We have a task set in front of us. There has been potentially uh, a lie, a deception. And the lie and the deception is that the Christian life is really easy. I think that's the deception. The Christian life should be really easy. And when it's not, oh, something must be wrong. No, the Christian life is difficult. The Christian life calls you to obedience. The Christian life calls you to discipline. The Christian life calls you to act. Christian life calls you to think. Christian life calls you to be active, engaging, doing, not sitting and doing nothing but actively engaging, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is our call this morning, and we're doing it 
as God's church. And when we do this, we do it out of obedience. We do it out of faith all for his glory. Okay, let's pray together.